Welcome to a great day for Hockey Talk. Brought to you by our founding partner, PPG, official paint of the Penguins. Here's Paul Steigerwald. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of It's a Great Day for Hockey Talk. I'm Paul Steigerwald. February 22nd, 2020 is the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice when the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team defeated the mighty Soviet team 4-3 on the way to a gold medal in Lake Placid, New York. Sports Illustrated named it the greatest sports moment of the 20th century. The Penguins recently celebrated the anniversary on February 11th at PPG Paints Arena. Former Penguins GM Craig Patrick was the assistant coach to the legendary Herb Brooks, and Mike Arruzzioni was the captain of that USA team. He scored the game-winning goal against the Soviets. They dropped the ceremonial first puck before the Penguins game against Tampa Bay on February 11th. The Penguins have a deeper and longer-lasting connection to the Miracle on Ice than any other NHL franchise. Only days after Team USA won the gold medal, their MVP, Mark Johnson, son of Badger Bob, donned a Penguins uniform. He had been drafted in the fourth round of the 1977 NHL draft. In 1990, Craig Patrick was hired as the Penguins general manager. And in 1999, Patrick hired Herb Brooks to coach the Penguins. Patrick is a scout with the Penguins to this day. The Penguins' rich tradition of U.S. hockey is remarkable. Three of the Penguins' four cup-winning coaches were U.S.-born. And, of course, the Penguins have several American-born college players on their roster. So it's altogether fitting that the Penguins celebrate the Miracle on Ice anniversary with pride. In this podcast, we'll hear from Mark Johnson, Craig Patrick, Micah Ruzioni, and former Montreal Canadiens goaltending legend Ken Dryden, who was the color analyst alongside Al Michaels, on ABC television that night in Lake Placid. We hope you enjoy our special look back at the miracle on ice. Going into the Olympics, there was an air of mystery about the Soviet hockey team. But for Mark Johnson, there wasn't as much of a mystery as there was for most of his teammates because his father, Badger Bob Johnson, had become enthralled with Russian hockey many years earlier. Mark Johnson explains how he was introduced to the greatness of those Soviet hockey teams. Just how in awe of them were you and your teammates, uh, and how did you get over that? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you had to respect them, obviously, but uh, some of the things they were able to do on the ice and play as a unit and control the puck and control the play were just fascinating because if you hadn't seen them play, uh, you know, you you were used to North American hockey. And I, uh, I remember in hockey schools back as early as 1972, after the 72 series between Canada and Russia, my dad had a eight millimeter tape of that whole uh, documentary. And so from 73 to, you know, probably 78 or 79 uh, at our hockey schools, we used to watch that tape over and over and over and, <laughs> get a feeling of, uh, you know, what the Russian hockey looked like, what the Russian power play looked like, and, and how good they were. And then I remember in 75, my dad was coaching the World Championships over in Germany, and I remember buying a plane ticket uh, with my mom and flying over and, and watching that tournament uh, as a high schooler and just fascinated with their training, their conditioning. Uh, they were able to play at such a high level, and then obviously when they dominated – you know, the NHL All-Stars, uh, it was just part of my growing up. I mean, my dad obviously was coaching some world championships teams. He got, uh, you know, involved with watching Tarasov, the great legendary Russian coach, and how they trained and how they worked with their players. And so we had Russian power plays. We had 
Swedish power plays, Czech power plays. I'm sure he brought those to Pittsburgh when he's there too, because uh, they were so good at it. their skill level so high they could play for an entire period. So that was just part of growing up and, and my dad's family was, uh, you know, the international game and understanding if you wanted to be a good player, there were certain things that you, you really needed to work on. And certainly the skill part of the game was a big component of that. So when you went into the Olympics, did you think you had a shot, you know, even though no, no one did? <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody, you know, realistically would give yourself an opportunity. I mean, uh, you know, the year before they beat the NHL All-Star six to nothing, we were just a bunch of, you know, college guys that uh, that were pretty good players but weren't on that level. And so, uh, you know, if we the week before we got to Lake Placid, we played the Red Army team, the you know, the, what ended up being their Olympic team, uh, in Madison Square Garden in front of a full house. And, uh, you know, we needed to bring our own puck that night because we didn't touch the puck too often <laughs> in that game. They ended up beating, I think, 10-2 to two or 10-3. to three. Here's Craig Patrick on how he became the assistant coach of the U.S. Olympic team. We had played together in the early 70s and, uh, when I was in the Army. So, uh, he, and we played in national teams. So we knew each other fairly well. And uh, he... he Ended up making me the captain of the team. And halfway through the the World Championships, he came to me and said, you know, I'm going to be the Olympic coach next year. I said, yeah, I've heard that. And he said, well, I, I need an assistant, and I was wondering if you might be interested. And I said, you know, my career's winding down. I think is a good time to, to take that kind of an opportunity. He, I said, okay, good. We'll get, I'll talk, get in touch with you when we get back stateside. So we got back. Middle of May, he called me, and he said, you still interested? I said, yes. I said, when do you need me? He said, tomorrow. And I was in Washington, D.C., and he was in St. Paul, Minnesota. So I got in my car and drove out, and the next day sat down with him, and then went on from there. And uh, the first meeting was pretty memorable, though, for me today, because uh, in that meeting, one of the first things he said, he said, and the team hadn't been picked yet, but he knew who he was going to have on his team. Like they were going to have a sports festival in the summer to pick the team or pick the 30 guys that are going to be competing for the team. And he said, these guys don't like each other. And he said, the only way I know how to make them a team is for them to unite against me, Herb. And Craig, your job is going to be to keep all the pieces together. But that was his first thing he, ever, he said to me about my job, my, my job responsibilities. He said, that was the main thing. Like, I'm going to be someone they don't like and I didn't want them to be united against me, but you keep the pieces together. People, again, don't realize how important Craig Patrick was to our team. USA team captain Micah Ruzioni. Because Herb was always in your face and demanding, and, dem and we needed somebody to be the buffer. We needed that good cop, bad cop, and, and Craig was an important part of that, and I think that kind of got lost in the shuffle a little. Herb Brooks was just as enthralled with the Russians as Badger Bob Johnson had been. Herbie had shown film to the U.S. Olympic players of the Russians' training and he had them doing a lot of dry land training that was very grueling. He also had them doing some very grueling training on the ice. His drills became known as Herbie's. The players would skate from the goal line to the blue line, back to the goal line, then the goal line to the red line, and back to the goal line, then the goal line to the far blue line, and back to the goal line, and then the entire length of the ice, and back to the goal line. One night in Norway, the U.S. team was not focused the way Herb Brooks wanted them to be and they tied Norway 3-3. Herb considered Norway a very inferior team to the U.S. team. He was extremely upset with the outcome of the game, and Craig Patrick tells us what happened then. What happened was the game was over. 
everybody went into the locker room and the players started to go down and do their, get their skates undone. That's the first thing you do to loosen your skates. And he, he walked and he said, don't touch anything. Leave everything. Leave all your equipment on. And left the room. And I'm standing there and they look at me and go, what does that mean, Craig? I guess it means just keep your stuff on. I don't know. And so he, wait, he went outside. He waited for the rink to empty. There was probably 10,000 people in the rink. He waited for the rink to empty, came back in and said, okay, back on the ice. And the rank manager, he wants to go home. He said, I got little kids at home. I got to get up early, get them to school. I, I can't stay here all night. And I'm trying to get them to, you know, to stay a while. I didn't know how long it was going to be. Never, never imagined it was going to be as long as it was. And finally he just said, I, I got to go. And I, and I said, well, then go. We'll, we'll close it up. And he said, I got to turn the lights out then. I said, okay, turn the lights out. And heard kept skating in the dark. How but, dark was it? Because you well, know. well, there was... There was you have to have exit lights on a thing, so it wasn't totally black. It was, it but was, dark enough. It was dark, yeah. <laughs> Actually, a bunch of the players were on the '79 national team playing in Moscow, and uh, so I got to know a handful of them there. Um, then the general manager of the team was working at the Mayo Clinic, and he didn't have time to do all the general managers' things the day-to-day general manager's thing. So he asked me to be the assistant GM, which meant I had to find housing, get cars, get all the stuff for their families, get everything. So it really got me tight with the players immediately. And having known some already and then having this happen, it was played out perfectly for Herbie's plan. Did they come to you, Craig, often and kind of vent? They came to me quite a bit, yeah. I was the guy, you know, anything, anything that happened or if anything they needed, they came to me. So... Uh, and when you have a, young, a bunch of young young men, 22 to 18 or 17, in, some, in Mike Ramsey's case at the time, um, they, they had needs. So I was there for them. I don't know if they, how they, if they thought he was crazy or, or just too intense or just what they might have thought, but certainly they said, what are we doing this for, Craig? What, I mean, just like he, they, they had their concerns about what was going on. But I can tell you this. They learned more hockey in seven months. And, excuse me. It's okay. And excuse me. They were, they were the best-conditioned team on the planet that year in any sport. If you've ever seen the movie Miracle, you've seen Kurt Russell playing Herb Brooks in the locker room prior to the game, making a very inspirational speech. Uh, it, was, it was good. I mean, you know, again, as a coach, you're trying to push the right button, say the right things, and I think for that moment, you know, you know, we needed that. Obviously, playing in Lake Placid in front of our home crowd is going to help us out, and then it's just a matter of you know, understanding that uh, at that particular point in our journey, you know, we were prepared to, for this opportunity. Uh, we're we're going to be successful? I don't know, but we were prepared. I mean, our conditioning level, uh, you know, we had beat a great Czech team, uh, you know, a few days prior to that. We had a bunch of momentum on our hands. And so the excitement and the adrenaline that you're looking for from a coaching standpoint is there. And I just need to reaffirm that we have an opportunity here and we need to go take that opportunity and run with it. And so, you know, we were born to be there for whatever reason. Uh, each of us had an opportunity, and, you know, let's go out and play hard. Prior to the game against the Soviets on Friday, February 22nd, ABC wanted to change the start time from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. so they could show it live to a national audience. But the Russians declined. 
and insisted on having the game played at 5 o'clock. That means that only about 10,000 people saw the game in person as it happened. ABC had to show the game on tape delay at 8 p.m. The announcers for the game were Al Michaels and former legendary goaltender of the Montreal Canadiens, Ken Dryden. The excitement, the tension building, the Olympic Center filling to capacity. The face value of a top ticket for tonight's game, $67.20. Outside, they're exchanging hands at three times the face value. Hello again, everybody. I'm Al Michaels along with Ken Dryden. It should be a great night. I'm sure there are a lot of people in this building who do not know the difference between a blue line and a clothesline. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter because what we have at hand, the rarest of sporting events, an event that needs no buildup, no superfluous adjectives. In a political or nationalistic sense, I'm sure this game is being viewed with varying perspectives, but manifestly, it is a hockey game. The United States and the Soviet Union on a sheet of ice in Lake Placid, New York. Ken, some of your thoughts before the game. Well, Al, for the U.S. team, it's really discovery time. It's, it's one thing to be young and promising, and it's quite another to be good. And in the next two and a half hours, the U.S. team players will go through perhaps the most difficult and demanding yet exhilarating time of their lives. They will be playing against a very good team, a team that's better than they are. And after that time, after it's all over, this team will find out an awful lot about themselves. They'll simply find out how good they are. Ken Dryden is a deep thinker. Here's his take on the psychological aspect of pulling off an upset against a prohibitive favorite. How does a team that is not nearly as good as another team find a way to win? And, and there is always a way. There is always an answer. It, it, it rarely happens and almost never happens in an instance like this, but it can. There is a scenario. There is a possibility. And that's, you know, how it played out. And so we were able to, you know, we were the announcers and, and, and kind of watching it as everybody else is. And, uh, and we were up pretty close to it because we were, you know, fairly close to the U.S. team in it. Uh, but still, it was something that, the, you know, that, that, that once that Soviet game was about to begin, this was the part that wasn't going to be able to happen. Long shot, the easy save by Trediak, but Johnson is there and scores with one second to play in the period. Right now the clock shows nothing, but it was stopped at one when we looked up as the goal was scored. Right now it shows nothing as the period apparently has come to an end. But the United States has tied the game. A big, big goal for the U.S. team. Ken Morrow took a shot. From the other side of center right, or I'm sorry, it's Steve Christian, knowing that there was almost no time on the clock, but the rebound comes right out to Mark Johnson, who goes wide of Tretrack to tie it up. A very careless rebound, an uncharacteristically careless rebound by Tretrack. The way you beat a huge favorite is you just, you, you kind of lull them. You never want to be ahead of them at the end of a period. At, at, at a period's end, at best you want to be tied or one goal behind. But how it happened was perfect. And then you get into the second period and again, you know, it's tied 2-2. Um, and the Soviets, I think, go ahead. And, but, you know, but the, the U.S. team is starting to feel as if, um, you know, that they are less, uh, you know, less, uh, you know, uh, in the wrong place, that they may even deserve to be on the same ice surface. 
and and the alarm bells still haven't gone off for the Soviets. And then the second period ends. And then all of a sudden there's only 20 minutes to go and you're still in the game. And and the other team is feeling a little bit uh, you know uncertain and a little bit ill at ease. Not a lot yet, but still a little bit. That's their final rush on this power play opportunity. 13 seconds left in the penalty. They shot the game came out of nowhere. The U.S. team did not seem to be threatening. The puck went to Starikov, the Soviet defenseman who should have had very good control of it, but he lost it. There's Silk. Now watch the puck go to Starikov. He's in good shape with it, but he loses it right under Johnson's stick and in the net. Then it's a game. Then then it's a sprint. Then it's then then it's a who knows. And and you've got a who knows. Where on you know on with one team where they're all excited and thrilled and they just can't imagine that they're in this situation and it's an exciting who knows, and then you've got the <laughs> Soviet who knows that is oh my God what is happening here we've never been in this situation before what do we do now we always thought we you know that we were strong and tough and 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 mentally tough and everything and now we're finding ourselves pushing harder and pushing too hard and starting to panic a little bit and 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 doing things that we've never done before and we didn't know was in us to do and now we just wish that the game could start all over again and and then then it's all possible buzz long slap shot saved by muskin the u.s team is depending a little bit too much now on jim craig he's making too many good saves watch highlights and, and you'll hear Herb say, play your game, play your game. I mean, he must have said it a thousand times. And, the, and what it was was we didn't care what other teams were doing. We needed to do the things that we needed to do in order to be successful had, as we had been doing throughout the Olympics. If the game got out of hand and then maybe we had to change our philosophy, change our style, that might have been one thing. But the, the way the game was going, we needed to continue to play our game. The crowd going insane. Carlamon shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. Vigiletinov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Silk. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! And, and it was just remarkable to 
see and to watch and uh, um, and to and and to have it pulled off in front of our eyes. So it was Al Michaels' call in the final seconds that led to the name Miracle on Ice. But just as miraculous was the fact that this team had to get up for another big game just two days later against Finland to actually win the gold medal. Yeah, I give Herb credit. You know, as a player, you don't uh, understand what a coach is going through at that point. You've got, a, you know, a big upset. Uh, you got a day off. Uh, you know, you have an opportunity uh, to play for a gold medal. How do you bring everybody down and, and get them refocused and so on? We went to practice uh, that Saturday. Uh, Herb was probably in the worst mood he was all season. Uh, just because he understood that, you know, if we screwed up Sunday, that, you know, we would uh, regret it the rest of our lives. And so, you know, we had a firm practice on Saturday. Uh, you know, he brought us back down to the point where, you know, we needed to understand that, uh, you know, come Sunday when the puck dropped, we needed to be ready to play and had to somehow forget uh, with a short memory that uh, our game Friday was fun and it was enjoyable, but we needed to get through that and over it uh, before we played Finland. Uh, we weren't very good listeners because after two periods against the Finns, we were down two to one. But I think, you know, as I remember, you know, sitting in the locker room after the second period uh, and getting ready to go out for the third period, there was this sense of confidence within our room that uh, you, we knew we were going to win. We just didn't know how we were going to win. We had sort of come that far and understood what we were up against. And Herbie had, you know, just a short message for us. And I think everybody in the locker room knew that uh, we were going to go out and win. And, you know, we went out and Phil Vercota scored a goal early in the period. Uh, I set up Robbie McClanahan and then scored shorthanded late. And, you know, the rest is history. You were really something else, Mark, in that uh, in that tournament. You, you played some great hockey individually and, of course, as a team. And uh, did Herbie really say you'll take it to your grave if you don't win this uh, game tonight? That's yep, a- he said it twice, and after he said it the second time, he just walked out, and, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, it, it sinks in because at no point in your life were you going to get an opportunity like this again, and you certainly didn't want to screw it up. But, uh, again, we were prepared for that opportunity, and, you know, probably that third period against Finland was our best period of the entire tournament. To Herb Brooks's credit, he never wavered from the way he treated his players, even in victory. He probably thought it would have been disingenuous of him to actually join in the celebration. When they won the game against the Soviets, he disappeared down the runway. He never went out onto the ice when they celebrated the gold medal. He stayed true to form right till the day he passed, unfortunately. He uh, never came to events. He, he, let, he let us enjoy all the moments. Uh, you know, people said, how can, you know, he never jumped on the ice after we won. If, well, if he did, it would have been, oh, uh, now you want to be our friend. Now you want to be close. He totally stayed away and, and let us enjoy all the success and the stories that we've had. Um, I, I, you know, people have said, uh, what, what did Herb say after he beat the Soviets? I said, he didn't say anything. He just let us enjoy it. What did he say after he won the gold medal? Nothing. He let us enjoy it. He just stayed totally away. So I think it was hard for him. I think he would have loved hanging around this team. I think he would have loved to go out and, and have a few beers with us after, you know, winning the gold medal. But uh, he stayed away and he just let us enjoy it. We're working class kids. Uh, who came from families that taught great values about teamwork, uh, great values about hard work to be successful. Uh, so I think the lessons that our team uh, learned as we were playing, uh, believing in yourself, believing in each other, you know, being, becoming a great team together as a group. Uh, and, and again, I think having those values of work ethic. We, we had incredible work ethic. Herb, Herb used to call us a lunch pail, hard hat group of guys, because that's what we were. We came to work every day 
prepared and focused to, to, you know, to be the best. And it turned out that we were. And people saw that. They, they saw that love. They saw the, the joy that we had in sharing that great victory together as a team. And, and I think you know, that's that bond that, uh, again, like I said, that makes the America so great, stories like ours. Not long after that gold medal victory, Craig Patrick became the general manager of the New York Rangers, and he hired Herb Brooks to be his coach. They didn't last long in New York but their friendship and their professional relationship continued late in the 90s with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Herb Brooks coached the Penguins in 99-2000, and he was the director of player personnel when he was tragically killed in a car accident in the summer of 2003. Clearly, the connection between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Miracle on Ice is as strong as ever. Even Mike Ruzioni has become friends with Mario Lemieux over the years. I suspect we'll be celebrating this again on the 50th anniversary. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of It's a Great Day for Hockey Talk. I'm Paul Steigerwald, and we'll talk to you next time.